Welcome to MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Lowe. Companies are legally obligated to take steps to prevent stormwater runoff at construction sites, and they use a variety of procedures to do so because they know there will be on-site inspections. Well, how about using unmanned aerial systems, commonly referred to as drones, to fly over and obtain data and pictures? Dr. Blake Putman, an assistant professor in the School of Concrete and Construction Management, has co-written an article detailing research into just that idea. We will buzz the bulldozer for a closer look after this. Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsunews.com, the university's news and information website. MTSU's educational doctorate programs will now be backed by membership in the prestigious Carnegie Project on the Education Doctorate, or CPED, a part of the larger Carnegie Foundation for the Advancement of Teaching. The university's membership was awarded after evaluation by a committee from other member institutions. CPED admitted MTSU along with nine other institutions. These new members joined over 115 others. And the Blue Raiders football games will be held at full capacity at Floyd Stadium for the 2021 football season. Middle Tennessee opens the season September 4th against Monmouth, where the program will celebrate Community Day. The traditional tailgating will return, as well as the Family Fun Zone and the Beer Garden, popular fan-friendly amenities located inside the near 31,000-seat stadium. The decision to welcome all fans back at full capacity was made in consultation with local and university health officials. The decision also includes full capacity at Dean Hayes Track and Soccer Stadium for the soccer season, as well as the Alumni Memorial Gym for the volleyball season. For MTSU News at any time, go to mtsunews.com. Blake, welcome. Thank you for being on the program. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Uh, you set out to determine whether using UAS, unmanned aerial systems, to examine stormwater practices on construction sites would be better than the traditional method of people taking pictures and documenting the situation. So how did you and your colleagues go about it? What was the methodology? So within the world of construction, uh, UAVs have been uh, evolving a lot. There's been a lot of different implementations of these different types of systems on construction. Uh, a few years ago, we did kind of a preliminary study of UAVs just to try to see how we could fit it into our stormwater research. And we noticed that there is a gap that we could fill by implementing this technology to improve the inspection process that is required by many DOTs and environmental agencies on construction sites to try to uh, improve not only the data that we gather when we do the inspections, but actually make the gather data gathering process a lot faster as well. Uh, what capabilities did the UASs that you used have? So we've used a lot of different ones over the years. Um, our particular drone is just, uh, it's made by DJI. It has about a 25 minute uh, flight time. So that's what's really helpful for us. Uh, when we get on construction sites that are linear, such as road construction, these sites are not necessarily that wide. They may only be a, hundred, a few hundred feet wide, but they may be miles long. So the longer we can stay in the air and fly, it really helps. So that's why we actually went with something like this. And that really improves the process because instead of having to walk 
say 10 miles, you can actually break it up into one or two mile sections and plot, and it gets it just improves the, the process a lot more from a, a time standpoint. What are some of the techniques that construction companies currently use to control stormwater? So there's a lot of different stuff out there. Every state's a little bit different. Uh, but just kind of to get to the basics, it's kind of something that's regulated by EPA. Uh, they have what is called a construction general permit, and it requires that any construction site over one acre uh, of served soil has to develop stormwater pollution prevention plans. And these plans actually detail all the different things that can be implemented, such as uh, perimeter control. So this may be like a typically like a black fence that encompasses the site to capture any stormwater leaving the site. Uh, you can implement uh, inlet protection practices. So this is where you have like concrete holes in the ground that will be later that water from like highways will drain to when it rains. You have to protect those to keep the sediment from entering those. There's also sediment basins, which these are like ponds that are built on construction sites and all the water is routed to these ponds and it's detained over a certain amount of time to let all the soil particles that are in suspension actually fall out of suspension uh, before the water is actually released into the surrounding environment or, or creeks and rivers. What is this uh, expression that we ran into in reading the study called deep learning based object detection? That's a phrase that seems to be fraught with meaning, but it's not something most of the general public has probably ever heard of. And what role does it play in this research? So uh, I guess the basis for this particular algorithm that's been developed has actually been used in the past a lot. And it's kind of a, it's more or less you set up a camera and it's been used in the past mainly to like count cars at intersections. So every time a car passes through an intersection, the, the camera will sense that and it can actually keep count of how many cars are passing through. Took this particular algorithm, I said, well, let's apply it to pictures that we take of construction sites and we make these giant mosaics. So essentially we take a lot of little pictures, we tie them all together and make this giant picture. So let's run the algorithm over this and let's train it instead of identifying cars, let's identify these different types of erosion control products that we have, such as silt fence, ditch checks, and other types of practices like that. And as it scans this giant picture that we've created, it will actually count and identify where there are on the picture. So that's kind of how it works. We'll take a break right here. We'll be back in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. The Middle East-centered MTSU seeks to promote greater understanding of the politics, history, and culture of this vitally important region of the world. Its mission includes the promotion of outreach programs and faculty research. The center sponsors lectures by Middle East experts and scholarly exchanges. We're especially pleased to offer a new interdisciplinary minor in Middle East studies with courses in Arabic and Hebrew. This is Dr. Alan Hibbard, Center Director. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. Women in Science and Engineering, or WISE, helps college women prepare for and become involved in science-related careers. WISE nurtures women's interest in these fascinating and critical fields and provides mentoring and networking opportunities. The group's main goal is to assure women of their importance in all scientific and technical fields and to promote equal opportunity and treatment of women in science. I'm Dr. Judith Iriarte-Gross, WISE Advisor. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. 
Our guest is Dr. Blake Whitman, an assistant professor in the School of Concrete and Construction Management. Uh, he's the co-author of an article detailing research into the use of unmanned aerial systems uh, to help uh, inspect construction sites for how well they are dealing with stormwater runoff. How specifically are the overhead images from the UAS superior to the traditional ground images? When you're taking pictures from an aerial platform, you're actually able to gather a lot more information. So you're able to see a, a wider view of what you're actually seeing. The issue that we typically run into with traditional inspections where you're actually on foot walking the construction site, taking pictures with a camera or your phone, is you only see a very small portion of what may be a potential issue or a failure in the stormwater pollution prevention practices that have been installed. When you take an image from an aerial platform, you're, on, you're capturing that small area as well as everything around it. So the failure of a particular practice may not be necessarily due to the practice itself, but what's upstream of that practice. For example, if you have a really, really steep slope, like a two to one slope coming down to a perimeter control practice like a silt fence, and it's not broken up properly, it's not necessarily the silt fence is failing because it's installed improperly, but it may be because there's just way too much water, way too much sediment being introduced to that. So uh, in order to fix the issue, you have to break that slope up and put more silt fences on it. Whereas if you just have a, a terrestrial image, somebody walking around taking pictures, you don't see all that in the picture itself. So that's kind of the big advantage of having these aerial images because you can see where the failure is and what may have caused the failure that's around that particular practice. Are the UASs equally effective regardless of what kind of a construction project we're talking about, a road, a small building, a skyscraper, a rural project, an urban project, does it vary? It does. Um, what you really have to look at is the FAA regulations. So where can we actually fly at legally? Uh, if you're on a, a linear construction project, let's say they're building a new four lane road out in the middle of a rural country, and there's not really that much around, you can typically fly that pretty easily because you don't have to worry about other items in the air, you don't have to worry about invading somebody else's uh, flight area or something like that. Whereas if you are in a downtown urban area, then we become really limited because we don't want the drone to get out of control by accident and fly into a skyscraper that's next door. I'm not saying that that's not possible, but there becomes more challenges the more uh, developed an area is when you want to start implementing these technologies. It depends upon how dense the urban area is, say, you know, it might be problematic in downtown Nashville around the Batman building or something like that. Correct. Uh, say so these UAVs or UASs, unmanned aircraft systems, they rely on GPS. Start getting around trees, buildings, you can lose this connectivity. So the drone itself may lose its current location and it may think it's one place where it's actually somewhere else and it may try to correct itself. And this is why it's very important that you have somebody there on the site watching it all the time that knows how to take control of these drones so that you can maneuver them in the, in the proper way. And if they start moving out of where they need to be, you can switch the controls to manual and move it back 
So it's very important that you always have somebody controlling it and somebody watching it. So you need about two people all the time when you're implementing this technology. Drones can be effective in a, a developed area, but typically those construction sites are so small that it's not worth the time to try to implement that. Because if you go like for, for example, downtown Nashville, you're not going to run into a construction site that's going to be, I'm going to say much over an acre. You may very, very rarely because it's so dense. If you own a, a linear construction project, a roadway where it's miles long, this is where it really becomes more effective. It's not as easy as it looks. It's not as though you're just taking a joystick and waving it around. You have to have a level of expertise in operating this device. That's correct. So the FAA actually has unmanned aircraft system licenses that you can get. Uh, if you're flying for hire, for example, you need this particular license from the FAA to do that. Uh, there's a lot of people that have private pilot license, so they can actually they can actually fly like really small planes or large planes. These people can also go in and get certified to fly drones. That's how I did it. I have my private pilot's license, so I can fly small planes. So I know the rules of the air, so to speak. I know where the small planes are going to be at, how they operate, and the different air spaces that are out there. So that really helps me have a better understanding of where I can and cannot fly these drones. Luckily, the technology that we use has a lot of built-in safety factors. So if you're somewhere that you don't need to be, it won't even let you take the drone off anyway. So that really helps when you start flying drones that are 20, 30 pounds and you start putting these in the air. You don't always have to have a a private, I mean, excuse me, a remote pilot's license to fly drones if you just want to do it for recreational purposes, like if you want to go out with your, with your kids and do that. But when you're doing it for work or trying to be very productive at it, it's best that you have that license and that knowledge so you can do everything as safely as possible. How do you process the images and the data from the UAS after you obtain them? So once we get the images from the drone, we'll run it through a variety of different softwares. The first software we put in is Pix4D. It takes all those individual images and it actually stitches them together and creates a mosaic as well as a three-dimensional uh, terrain model of what we actually flew over. So it's, it's, it's taking the little pictures and making a big picture essentially. Once we have that, we have a variety of other softwares that are very technical <laughs> that we take this information that we have and run through it. Uh, the particular platform that we use for the identification is actually a, a Python code, which Python is a software. And we just took a traditional uh, coding that, used, that they use to count cars with, modified it, and made it where it would actually count uh, different types of best management practices on a construction site. How do you decide how large a section of the site can be captured with one flyover? So that's really dependent on how big the site is and how much battery life you have. Some drones, you can only fly maybe 10 minutes. Some you can get maybe 25 minutes out of them. It also has a deal with like the weather, for example, wind speed. So if the wind's blowing at a loft, so if you get up to 300 feet and the wind's blowing over the trees, this can actually cause the drone to actually use more power to stay on course because it's having to correct. So, so weather is a big component of when you go out to do this. Uh, obviously, you can't fly in the rain and you don't want to fly in a, like a hurricane. But you still have to take in slight wind speeds, even on nice days, because that's going to affect how far you can fly, how long you can fly. 
Luckily, the software has uh, the capability so you can kind of map out how you want to fly over a certain area and it'll tell you whether the drone can actually capture that whole area or not within the, the time frame from a battery life standpoint uh, that that particular drone has. So that's how we kind of manage how much we can cover at one point or on one set of batteries. When we go out to linear projects, we usually carry like eight sets of batteries with us. That way we can use one set land, change the batteries out, and then we can move down to another section and fly. And we have to repeat this process to get from one end of the project all the way to the other. Does the temperature of the atmosphere matter, hot and cold, or is that irrelevant? So temperature does affect the air itself. So when it's hot outside, air molecules spread out. So as the blades thin, it catches less air particles that actually lift up. So the colder the air is, there's more air particles. So the, the flight becomes more efficient uh, as, a, as a component of the, the blade actually biting into the air and lifting off. So yes, air temperature does play a fact. More so in large airplanes and drones, it, it does affect it. Time for another break. We'll return in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. The Middle Tennessee Writing Project is a program that fosters the effective teaching of writing to students in kindergarten through high school. The project hosts annual summer institutes where teacher participants teach and learn from each other effective techniques of teaching writing. In addition, the project sponsors summer writers camps for youngsters. MTSU is one of 185 sites of the National Writing Project and one of only two in Tennessee. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The Tennessee Employment Relations Research Association, or TERA, gives labor relations specialists and academics a chance to share their views and their data. TERA wants academics and other interested in human resources and industrial relations to work together at meetings and conferences to strengthen the workplace. Many MTSU faculty belong to TERA, which has members in 20 states and 7 nations. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. We're talking about the use of unmanned aerial systems in inspecting construction sites to see how the crew has handled stormwater runoff. Dr. Blake Whitman, an assistant professor in the School of Concrete and Construction Management. How specifically does using the UAS improve the accuracy of the information obtained? Is it that you can analyze very specific parts of land to a fare they well, or how exactly does it make it, it, it improve the quality of the data you receive? So traditionally, uh, usually like a qualified stormwater inspector will go out. It depends on what state you're in as to what they're called. Usually they have some type of accreditation. They'll go out after a rain event or after a certain amount of time, and they'll go and inspect all of the practices that's been installed. Uh, when they go out, they usually just take pictures with a camera, iPhone, whatever they take with them, and they make notes uh, by hand. So you're only getting a small component from a data standpoint of what they think is relevant based off training. So the more experienced per people may think, oh, I see this, I want to take a picture of it and note it. Whereas someone that has maybe less experience may not recognize that just because they hadn't been doing it that long. And they're taking very small snapshots of a relatively large area, typically. When you apply these drones, you're actually capturing the entire project every time you go out. So say you, you went out once every two weeks. 
you could actually capture everything on a, on a project start to finish every two weeks. So you actually have a very large data set that is essentially time-lapse. So every two weeks you have a, a complete new data set. So you can actually track progress of practices that's been installed. Has the practices been installed according to the plans? Uh, are they in the right locations? Because we have uh, geographical information from the camera and the GPS on the drone. What if a product was installed, it was in the right spot, did it fail after a rain event? So we can look at all of this information from a large standpoint every time this process is done. So it really gives you more information to look at and it helps you document the entire project every single time as opposed to just small snapshots traditionally done on foot inspections. Have any government agencies considered using UAS either partly or exclusively to inspect construction sites? Is this already being done or is it still being still studied at this time? There's no DOT out there right now that I know of that uses this process every single time they go out and do it. Because it, we're, we're really on the, the edge of just kind of figuring out how this works and how it can be done from a efficient standpoint, like in order to do this right now, it's pretty time consuming. It takes someone that has a lot of knowledge of how all these different components work. It's not necessarily a user-friendly system at this point in the game. Some DOTs have expressed interest to investigate this further and develop software where it's more user-friendly to have some like instructional videos or tutorials on how to go out and do this. I will say there's a lot of DOTs that have UAV or UAS programs. That, so they're using UAVs to go out and do inspections of like bridges. So they have the technology and they go and they're using it in other manners. But this is a, a new area that they can apply a department that they already have personnel and equipment and go do another task and be and collect a lot more data and be a lot more efficient at managing that. Could you use it, for example, to inspect a bridge to see whether there are any weaknesses or deficiencies in it, an already existing entity as opposed to something that is a work in progress on a construction site? Absolutely. There's a lot of DOTs already that are using drones to go out and inspect different types of bridges uh, from overhead, from the sides. I have seen some UAVs that can fly under bridges and take pictures looking up I guess you'd be looking up toward the sky, but when you fly under the bridge, you're going to be looking under the bridge. And they'll take all these images and go back and create one of these three-dimensional models. And then they can actually see, um, do we have issues in certain areas? Is there something that we need to keep an eye on over time? So let's say if a DOT went out and inspected every bridge they had in a year, and then five years later, they went back and did the same process again, you have a data set from five years ago, a data set from recent, and you can say, are we deteriorator, deteriorating faster than we anticipated? Is everything on schedule? And this is where they can actually forecast and plan for when they need to do maintenance on bridges, just for example. If the technology were to become more user-friendly and cost-efficient, would it behoove a construction company to have their own UASs and to do their own inspections before a governmental entity comes to the site and says, you have to fix this, you have to fix that? 
So a lot of construction companies, especially large construction companies, are already developing and implementing this, this technology on their job sites. It's a, it's a pretty common thing. More so than anything else, a lot of them use it for uh, like advertising purposes, and they can actually showcase, you know, we're making progress, and they can create, like, progress videos of flying around the structure as it's being constructed, and they can put it out on, on platforms like LinkedIn for other people to see, hey, this is what we're doing, we're making progress. Uh, they can send it to the owner. So they say, hey, this is what we're doing. This is the stage we're at. So there's a lot of companies that have developed, I'm going to call them like virtual construction and design departments. That whole department's job is to use UAVs effectively, use scanning technology, using building information modeling to kind of bring all this information together to document the progress of the project as well as to just uh, use it for anything else that they can think of as innovative to help them be more efficient in their building and construction processes. I'm sure everybody at one point has done something where they's like, I wish I knew what was done 10 years ago so that I would know how to move forward. For example, if you build a house and you put some uh, electrical wires or some plumbing in the wall, and then a few years later, you want to go back and add something and you screw a screw into the wall and you hit an electrical line or you hit a pipe, well, on really big projects that has a that have a lot of mechanical, electrical, plumbing fixtures, and you don't know where all that is, if you have all this three-dimensional data that you can go back and look at, you can say, well, I know exactly where this stuff is because I have this three-dimensional model. I can go back and measure and see where this particular pipe is in the wall so I can make modifications in the future if I need to. What areas of research do you think that other researchers could use your study as a jumping off point to explore? What related areas do you think they could take your study and veer off into this area or that area, related area, in order to examine this issue? A lot of it we hadn't even really thought of yet. If you really think back, UAV technology from a accessibility standpoint is relatively new. So there's a lot of different ways that we can go with this as more studies like this, which I can't really think of any right offhand where we could take this, but as it comes out and people become more innovative and start thinking about, hey, we could implement this to do this, uh, this is gonna explode in the future because we're gonna have so much data that we can actually use. The article is entitled Deep Learning-Based Object Detection for Unmanned Aerial Systems Based Inspections of Construction Stormwater Practices. And in which journal was it published, Blake? So this was published in Sensor. That's the name of the journal, Sensor. Dr. Blake Whitman, thank you for being our guest today on MTSU on the Record. Thank you. It was my pleasure. We'll be right back. The Middle Tennessee State University Women's Studies Research Series features compelling monthly talks on gender-related topics by faculty and graduate students. The series offers a chance to learn about research in progress and to chat with faculty in an informal setting. All lectures are free and open to the public and are held on the MTSU campus. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. The Army ROTC College Program at MTSU prepares students mentally, physically, and emotionally to become leaders and promotes virtues of duty, honor, country. ROTC cadets are involved in all academic disciplines, athletics, and student organizations at MTSU. Full scholarships and tuition assistance are awarded based on merit. All cadets upon graduation will serve their country as second lieutenants either in the Army, Army Reserve, or Army National Guard. 
For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Randy Weiler has the middle moment. MTSU concrete industry management students helped test the mix design for track and pit lane barrier walls for the first Big Machine Music City Grand Prix IndyCar race August 6th through 8th in downtown Nashville. Professor Heather Brown, who helped form the partnership with MTSU alumnus and Music City Grand Prix CEO Matt Cruz, shares more. We are very excited about Indy Racing coming to the streets of Nashville. The MTSU Concrete Industry Management Program was asked to partner with Music City Grand Prix to help research and implement concrete mixes for both barrier wall and pit lane. The precast company, Jarrett Concrete Products, was chosen to fabricate over 2,000 barrier wall sections with a mix design we tested right here in our lab with students in the fall of 2020. Two of our alumni are also leading the project, Travis Jarrett and Frank Bowen. A few student interns will be involved throughout the summer during construction of the race course, and all of our seniors are being given a race ticket to enjoy the safety of the barrier wall they had a hand in working on. That's MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. Thanks for listening. MTSU on the Record, a news and information program about Middle Tennessee State University, is produced by the university's Marketing and Communications Office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com. Podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on iTunes.